Andrew brought Peter. He didn't debate. We found the Messiah. Now, you know Peter. Peter's the kind of guy that if, if he thinks it's fake, he's not going to have any part of it. And then there was, there was Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, let's debate it. He says, come and see. My, uh, my brother didn't debate with me when he witnessed to me. He just looked at me. And I got saved. Not by the look, but that was, a ca- that was the catalyst. That was the, the spark that lit the keg. This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Don't Do It is the title of Pastor Rick's message, and he'll be teaching in Hebrews chapter 10. Should you find yourself doubting your scripture, remember the prophecies. It's this, this, that's a spiritual feature. That's a feature of our writing, of our scripture, that no one else has. All the other ones are the writings and the conclusions and the ideas and the insistence of men. But there's no spiritual feature. The Mormons have their book of Moroni, and they make these outrageous claims with not a shred of evidence to support it. But the scripture has tons of evidence to support what it is, what it has declared to be true. And so Galatians 2.18, where Paul was dealing with this identical problem with the Jews, he says, for if I build again those things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. If I come out of sin, If I come out of thinking wrong about God, then I go back into thinking wrong about God. I am where I don't believe in the eyes of God. I am in sin. And if you are an unbeliever and you're listening to me, you may be saying, that sounds harsh. It sounds narrow-minded. Broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to perdition, that leads to hell. And there are many who go and buy it because narrow is the gate straight as the path that leads to everlasting life, and few find it. Men are capable of getting a chip on their shoulder with God for daring to be God. How dare you judge me? How dare you lay out what is morality? We're, living, we're watching it in the time we live in. Every, they're, they're, they're trying to reinvent, redefine the word morality so that perversity becomes morality and purity becomes immorality. It's spiritually psychotic, and they resent being told that it is so. We'll get back to this, I hope, and much more. I don't know how I'm going to get this in, so I hope you brought your lunch. Verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. And the adversaries hate hearing this. It's so narrow-minded, it's so draconian, it's so uh, over-the-top, it's so intolerant, it's so loveless. No, it's not. You are. You're all those things against your maker. And you have the audacity to accuse those who have seen him with being villains. Well, they've done you no harm. You're willing to do harm to them. We don't find true Christians persecuting anyone. But we find true Christians being persecuted. And so people believe in many gods. Paul says, I've got a God for you. Because even if you don't believe in a God, that's your God. 
Because God, by the definition in Scripture, includes that controlling influence in your deepest heart. That is your God, the one that you submit to. You may not be strong enough to comply with what you submit to. For instance, we Christians, we believe we're supposed to always be loving. We submit to that, but we don't always pull it off. Somebody just going to pull on your cape at some point and challenge that commitment. It does not mean you have abandoned God. It means you're struggling in the flesh. The world doesn't get this. and God has left it for us to explain it as best we can. So Paul says, I've got a God for you. He's the God that blinds. Spiritually blinds people. He is the God of all blindness, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan is the world's God of spiritual blindness, says the word of God. And you, as Christians, better not be ashamed of that. You better not back up one speck of an inch away from that belief. All the forces of hell will try to get you to do that. Well, the force is assigned to you. When Jesus said, he who believes in the Son is not condemned, but he who does not believe in the Son is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They resent God dictating to them what behavior should be. They hate it, and they hate him along with it, and you and me also. He says, fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Many scoff at this. In fact, a lot of them are already in hell. I'm not making light of that. You believe the scripture, you can't get away from this. How do you make truth acceptable to a people that reject truth? I don't know. All I, what I do know is this. I can pound them with the truth. I can live my life as correctly as possible to the word. And I know that makes a difference. That does contribute to the salvation of souls. Because when I watch the God-haters launch in their debates and their books and wherever they get to speak... They're always pointing to Christians that I look at and say, I'm not so sure those are Christians you're pointing at. You're justifying your atheism with make-believers, not true believers. I don't believe those things. Why don't you pick a fight with a real Christian? Why don't you find one that truly believes and understands the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I also don't believe that debates are very effective. There are those that are very good at debating and never coming into the light. There are those that their whole purpose is to not agree with you. And they launch all of these half-baked arguments to which no one can answer. It's the same old thing. It goes back to the days of Plato. You say, you know, that's pretty old. How can a loving God, how can, how can a loving God what? How can he love you? But he does. And so we have to have these things solid in our hearts or else we will be in jeopardy. When Andrew and Philip met the Christ, they wanted to bring him or bring in front of him others whom they loved. Andrew brought Peter. He didn't debate. We found the Messiah. Now, you know Peter. Peter's the kind of guy that if, if he thinks it's fake, he's not going to have any part of it. 
And then there was, there was Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip has said, let's debate it. He says, come and see. My, uh, my brother didn't debate with me when he witnessed to me. He just looked at me. And I got saved, not by the look, but that was, a cat, that was the catalyst. That was the, the spark that lit the keg. How dare you not argue with me? How dare you look at me with love when I am mocking your Savior? And so, and this is for those who don't know, and maybe you've got similar stories. So I went and got a Bible, and I was going to prove him wrong and got saved. Verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. The word of God is fierce, and his law is no nonsense, and that was the old economy. And in the old economy, if you broke the law of Moses, if it were a capital crime, you were to be stoned to death, in most cases, without mercy. He tells us that right here. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, he dies without mercy. Achan. When Achan caused the death of those troops there at the Battle of Ai, Joshua was gentle. He said, son, tell us, what did you do? And he told him, he said, well, you're going to die. Leviticus 24, I'm not going to take time to read it. You can reference it yourself. Verses 11 and 23. There was a mother who had a son who blasphemed the Lord. He cursed the Lord. And they brought him to Moses. And they stoned him. The atheist doesn't understand that. The Christ rejecter doesn't understand. They think that this is God and all there is to him. But there's a lot more to that story, and we need to tell it. We need to make the distinction of the dispensations of God, the different periods of how God ruled in the lives of men. We are in the age of grace right now. The kingdom age is next. Well, the, the, the age of grace and tribulation period, then the kingdom age. They're not going to figure it out on their own. Not intellectually. In verse 29, he says, Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, how much... More punishment. You think Moses had a tough rule? If you blasphemed God, if you gathered sticks on Sabbath, you were stoned. This is worse than that. You've come to the knowledge of Christ, and you've counted the blood of the covenant, which sets you aside. The death, when we say the blood of Christ, we're talking about the vicious death of Christ. That's what we're talking about. The innocent murdered for those who deserved to be judged. Well, you've counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, by which you were saved. That's what he's saying. A common thing. It's not all that. And so he says, he says in verse 29, do you suppose, do you really think there's, there's everything firing up there? Don't do it. Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God? In the Old Testament, to get out of Egypt for the Jews, there in Exodus 12, the Jews were commanded to put blood on the threshold, that top lentil going across the passage into the room. And then on the right side and the left side, those posts. But they weren't to put any blood on the floor, the doorstep, because the blood is not to be trampled. We get that in the New Testament. 
And may we, may we understand that this is part of our message. The unbeliever cannot know what the blood of Christ means unless we tell it to them. Yes, some of them will go read it for themselves, such as myself, and get saved unintentionally. Intentionally on God's part, not on mine at the time. There is no way into heaven except through Christ, and we're not hazy about this. We're not unsure. We're not willing to compromise on this or appease anyone. That must be our position, because if it is not that, then that means that we ourselves aren't sure. But if you've caught a look at Christ, you know that if you leave this life and the blood of Christ is missing from you, your soul, then you're done. That's the whole thing. When, when Cain brought his sacrifice, what is missing here? Blood, suffering, sin. The antidote to sin is the suffering of God in Christ Jesus. He says, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. Again, he's not talking to idolaters or atheists or pagans. He's not talking to agnostics. Well, I can't tell if God exists or not. I know that sounds very intellectual, but it is very ignorant. And I'm not, not mocking it. The word agnostic means to be ignorant, to not know. And they walk, they walk, they float around boasting, I'm an agnostic. And it's, it's, You think that we're supposed to be impressed. They actually believe that Christianity is against science. The best they can do is insist that it's not. That's it. They cannot show you the missing link. The DNA is exposing even more the folly of the evolution of the species. Yeah, there are adaptations in the species, but a duck, I guarantee you, will never become a dog. It just, <laughs> anyway, well, he can dream. It would be a dog's life, but all right. Um, that, that's my break in mid-sermon. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace to reject, to reject the full gospel message is to challenge God. But what makes it a difference? What, ask anybody, what is your solution for sin? What is your solution for it? It has to be dealt with. It is the cause of every piece of suffering ever known to humanity. Is there a solution for this? Is there one after this life and in this life? I have looked at everyone else's position that I, well, not everyone. I'm sure I've missed a few. But I've looked at Islam's solution, uh, Buddhism's solution, Hinduism's solution. And I find them not reasonable. Irrational. I don't find a solution. They talk about it, but it, it, it goes, in the end, it goes against a sense of justice. But I look at Christianity and I see God saying, it's not justice you want because you can't handle my justice. You need grace. You need mercy. You cannot earn it. You have to receive it. Okay, I receive it, but how do I get it? God suffered for me. You see, I can say I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to step into this world and then have to deal with the judgment of God. Yeah, but I'm here. And God says, well, let me help you with that a little bit. I'm going to ask to be born and step into this world. 
And I'm going to take punishment for you that you deserve. And if you believe it and receive it, based on all the little pieces of evidence I leave that lead to this trail, then I'm going to give you an everlasting glory that defies description. But you have to examine the evidence, make your move, and stick to it by faith. That's what I want. We who believe, that's what we have done. What irritates us is when we hear blasphemy against Christ, we want to answer it. Sometimes the answer is not there. It's like, how do I answer that? Sometimes this is the answer. I don't need to answer that. That's nothing but a scrambled egg, a knot that no one can untie. It's not even the point. It's a distraction. It sounds so intelligent. But actually, it's, it's just simply wrong. Because sin still has to be dealt with. You go online and you watch, you watch some men deal with questions. And you say, boy, that's pretty intelligent. I wish I had that intelligence. I wish I could give that answer. Jesus said, when they bring you in before the magistrates, and they're going to put you under the pressure of giving them answers, don't think about what you're going to say. I'll bless you. I'll give you the answers. My point in that is trust the Lord that you know to be your Savior all the time, as best you can with everything you have. And so we read Hebrews 2, 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This is one of the, this is the first warning verse in Hebrews. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was committed to those who heard him. That's the process that was cast into motion. Those who heard him. Well, we're still hearing Christ. In verse 30. Oh, pause here. Don't let your weaknesses undo your strengths. Just because you struggle with this or that, you fail here or there, that doesn't define who you are. You know what defines the Christian? Christ, your strength. That's what decides who you are. Stick to that. Be defiant with that. Cop a little attitude with that against those things that come against it. Otherwise, you're going, to be on, you're going to get slapped around. And don't take any mess from yourself either. Yourself is one of the most busy guilt bearers there is. Hey, I got a bucket of guilt for you. How do you feel about this? Shouldn't you have been doing that? How come you didn't? We should have done better in school. You should have had more devotion time. Let the Spirit of the Lord be the Spirit of the Lord in your heart. In spite of your sin, he is able to overcome those things that you cannot. He does it in some ways that are very visible to us. And then he does it in ways that defy our understanding, but not our faith. See, faith goes beyond understanding, but not without it. It it uses understanding to get right there, and then it blows past it. And I'll get to that, uh, another illustration of that in a moment. Verse 30 For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, there's the payback. Vengeance is mine. God is not going to just just, just ignore it. You didn't mean it. It's going to be dealt with. This is for those who've rejected him. He's talking, that's the application. Galatians 6, again, Galatians dealing with... Paul dealing with the same thing that is being dealt with in Hebrews. I believe Paul is likely the writer of Hebrews. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap also. If you've ever watched any of the intelligent atheists who've devoted their lives to proving that something doesn't exist, which in itself is not intelligent, 
I, I mean, again, I, I used this. I don't, I'm not very creative, but I had not devoted my life to proving tooth fairies don't exist. If you believe them, I'm, that's fine. You're, 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 you're wrong. And you better hope that the tooth fairy's not greedy because he's going to take all your teeth. But anyway, I, so I, I think it's an irrational thing. If others don't believe it, fine. This age of atheism that we are facing is unlike atheism in the past. This atheism, atheism is militant. It is aggressive. It is not satisfied with live and let live. It wants to stop you from believing what you believe because it is hell-driven. And when Paul says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Oh, well, they mock him, yes, but they are sowing in their mocking and they will reap what they have sown if they do not repent. And so we're facing serious issues when faced with God the Son, God's salvation and the Holy Spirit, Luke's gospel. There will be, Luke 13, 28, Jesus speaking, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth, the weeping is the sorrow. The gnashing is the anger. They're sorry that they're going to be judged and they're angry for being judged at the same time. He says, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom, and you yourselves thrust out. You think that only applies to the Jews, the Jewish Pharisees? That applies to the human beings who mock God and go to their grave like that. I have people I love who have not accepted Christ. I still love them. I'm still trying to reach them. But I do not love them more than I love my Jesus. I won't allow myself to do that. And so... He said that in Luke's gospel to humanly intelligent rejectors, verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. You see, they're Christians. They were persecuted for Christ. Clearly addressing veteran believers. And he says, remember, we read that and we have to say, if it can happen to them, I'm not letting my God, I'm going to post another guard. Scripture never makes room for other religions. It is Christ, it is nothing. That is the ultimatum, it is the prerogative of God, he exercises it. In an age, we live in an age of fake tolerance. They'd like to throw that word around. We stand in defiance against it. We say God is intolerant of Christlessness at death. That's it. In the Old Testament, it's illustrated for us. Samuel was intolerant of Agag, took out his sword, hacked him to death. Elijah was intolerant of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Those prophets did not survive the day. Christ was vehemently intolerant of fake believers in his day. Beware the Pharisee, beware the Sadducees and the scribes. Beware, beware, beware. These were the religious people that were acting like believers, yet rejecting the proof that was right in front of them according to their own scripture. We are not at all interested in doing physical violence to infidels. As you, as, as you might want to use. We don't hear that word coming out of the church often, but it's a word that's for unbelievers. We're not looking to harm them physically, but their opinions, we're not looking to merge with ours. You endured a great struggle with sufferings, he says. Their fight were neither minor nor were they brief. Wherever that word endure shows up, that means there's time involved. Stephen was murdered, the first one, 
in the church to be murdered for Christ. Paul, who hunted Christians, found himself hunted. Paul wreaked havoc on the church, Acts chapter 8. His name was first Saul. For Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men, women, committing them to prison, Acts 26. He's giving his testimony. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You see why they were under pressure to go back to Judaism? And the writer is saying, don't do it. Galatians 1.3, for you have heard of my former conduct, Paul speaking again, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, end quote. And so when he says, you endured great struggle and suffering, don't make it for nothing. You've been listening to Cross Reference Radio, the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel in Mechanicsville, Virginia. As we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, today's teaching is available free of charge at our website. Simply log on to crossreferenceradio.com. That's crossreferenceradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to the Cross Reference Radio podcast. Subscribing ensures that you stay current with all the latest teachings from Pastor Rick. You can subscribe at crossreferenceradio.com or simply search for Cross Reference Radio in your favorite podcast app. Tune in next time as Pastor Rick continues teaching through the book of Hebrews right here on Cross Reference Radio. Thank you.